Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Everyman podcast. Now, tonight we have a very special guest. We have Neil Clark, who is an expert in all things elite athletes and men's and mental health in, in general. How are you doing tonight, Neil? Pretty good, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, I, we had a few I had a few internet problems earlier. The, the family had been banished to the loft room, and the neighbours' cats been put out. So I think I'm ready. Yeah, it's always interesting at the start when we do these podcasts because it, it's one of those where you're, you're absolutely gambling that the guest has workable internet. And as I said before, it's usually mine that goes pretty crap throughout an episode. So, yeah, hands up. Um, for once, audience, it was not me. It, it was Neil. So uh, sorry for being slightly late, guys. Uh, we're starting the episode. Uh, Reese, how are you doing tonight, mate? Yeah, I'm all right. I've had a bit of tech issues there as well. I couldn't get my uh, headphones connected. I've just got a new mic, so I'm testing this out. So you'll have to let us know if that's not um, not not up to scratch. But the, head, the headphones, I realised, are connected to my phone still. So I was wondering why they wouldn't connect to the, my laptop. Makes sense, really, yeah. when you think about it. But yeah, I'm 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 good. Um, been a bit of a rough week. Um, okay. Come on, for the back of being like ill i've got back into my run again back back following my plan um i was out four times but with the bad well and stuff i was in on the treadmill and i i don't think i get kind of get the same the same benefits that i normally do from a treadmill as i do um if i would if i was outside so i know that i need to start getting myself out because i don't really like the cold i normally go into hibernation over the winter um but this year i'm fully committed yeah yeah this but this year I'm fully committed to absolutely smashing the winter ready for my four ultras and marathon next year. Wow. How are you, Lewis? Um yeah, probably probably fairly similar. I felt like I've had a little bit of the old man flu. I think last week so last was like super B for me at work. Um I work for EE. We've gone through a full new brand launch. Days I was training twice a day, I was running, I was in the gym. My body just went nope, you've had enough. Um, and I didn't train for pretty much what felt, I think it was about six days. I didn't do anything. I, I couldn't get out of bed early. I, I was just mentally in like, I don't know, I was probably in my own head a little bit. Um, and then it all, I think I messaged you and I went for, I think I did 16K or something just to force myself to do something. And then now I'm back on it and I feel back in the zone a bit. Probably like you though, if I don't exercise, I kind of get in my own head and it's the the way that for, for me by doing something really hard and we spoke about this before but doing something hard like going for a run it means the rest of my life no, no matter how stressful my day is at work it, nothing's harder physically than running till your legs are really sore so everything else just gets that little bit easier um yeah. so yeah back in that back in that mental place of um feeling pretty content in control of things again um yeah, in a really good place. But um, I know we talked about this before, and Neil, you said I didn't fail, but I definitely look at it as a definitely a learning opportunity. So yesterday I tried to do my first ever marathon, and Reese messaged me in the morning, like, <laughs> Lou, Lou, are you doing a marathon? Are you really? He was like, Have you got water? Have you got salts? Have you got gels? And I was like, Nope, I'm just going to try and run as far as I can run. The last time I did a half marathon, I was 18. I'm now 30. I'm 31 next month, so I'm 30. So I was like, if I I put a post out saying, if I do half a marathon, I'll be happy. If I do a full marathon, 
I'd be delighted. But then my dad um, was in the Royal Marines. He's still in the forces, but he transferred to the Navy. He, he was in the Royal Marines and they have to do a 30 mile speed march, which I looked at and I, I was like, that's about 50K. Mentally, if I can just do that, I obviously got nowhere near it. But in my head, I was like, I could definitely do this. I can definitely do this. And then I got to, I think I got to 18K in and my left calf just went. And yeah, yeah it's still a bit salt. Today. But salt, yeah. honestly, I had like just salt all around my eyes, like in my beard. It was horrible. Um, yeah, my body just gave up pretty much. But as you say, it was a lesson and I learned, um, I learned that I need to prepare and I can't just wing a marathon basically mm-hmm. with very little training but, you should join yeah. me lewis i did i'm showing off now not as far as as Reece, but i've done one iron man in my time and went to a few dark um yeah that was fun. but going back to your yeah back to your running it's interesting the difference between a half marathon and a marathon and that that yeah. last second half half is so much more than just cardio it's all those all oh. the, and any any sort of you know pronation or any way you're running that's not you know it's not ideal it just gets worse yeah. and worse and worse so um yeah it's, it's a long yeah. way man a long way do you know what it so, was right it was it was times running so we live near the coasts and yesterday was quite a nice day loads of people were out and on the paths that i was running uh, some people just didn't move so then i had to keep hopping onto the road onto the path onto the road onto the path and mile or okay once i was in the 20s like i could really feel that in my legs just even the little hops on onto the path on onto the road and path um so i think you're right maybe that's where my calf went a little bit because i felt it mm. once jumping onto the road i was like oh that was a bit tight and then it just gradually got worse and worse it is a lot well, easier doing a race. sorry i was just gonna say it is a lot easier doing a race as well than it is doing it on your own yeah mm. Yeah, you said that to me after. To be fair, so um, too much. Neil, tell us, tell us a little bit about the Ironman. I think that's one thing I definitely didn't know. And you, you also dropped it in today, Lewis. I've done a marathon or marathons. So obviously, phys- physical activity is definitely something that you're big on. So be really keen to understand that a bit. Yes, um, and and it's and it's related to what we're talking about. I mean, we could do a, a podcast on triathlons, Ironman, endurance sport, but actually, yeah. joy of something Reese you said about being out in nature rather than the treadmill. Loads of research about the power of nature of being outside. People taking their shoes off and grounding, all that good stuff, and that it's really really powerful. So getting out in nature is is, is important whether it's walking or running. The Ironman comes from uh, years ago. I got into triathlons. Uh, joined a swim squad, met my training buddy, uh, Jonesy, so I'll give him a mention now. And we went on yeah. a journey together. And again, linking it to what we're talking about, the, the power of connection, being with someone, building relationships, so important in life. And relationships are different things in life as well. So me and Jonesy, we did a sprint triathlon, then we did an Olympic triathlon, then we did a half Ironman, and then we went for the, wow. the big one. And uh, I remember... We got the triathlon magazine. We thought that like, Ironman's hard enough as it is without choosing the hilly one. So we there was a graph in the magazine that had like this kind of flattest Ironman possible. But and believe it or not, it was in Austria. It wasn't Bolton or wow. something. And so it's scenic, which helped. And it was undulating. And and like all these things in life, the gods love to chuck in a curveball. So we got there and it was a heat wave. 
uh, no wetsuits. Wow. We went the wrong way on the swim. A boat had to come out, and there was 200 of us going the wrong way in the lake. So, again, another wow. curveball. Got hot on the bike. Then I think it was 40 degrees in the shade on the marathon at 2 in the afternoon. So, Oh, my God. A lot of dark places, but uh, – you used the word but. This is a positive but. I got chatting to another <laughs> English guy who was going through the same sort of uh, challenges, shall we say. And yeah. – we, we, we didn't know each other. We got chatting. We bonded. That common goal of running together. We ran, jogged two and a half K, walked through the A station, banana, flat coat, pretzel, went again two and a half K. And all we did was two and a half K. And he, without that guy, it would have been, I would have got through it. Probably would have been slower, mm-hmm. but it would have been a lot more painful. So it was a, yeah. a great experience. One I don't yeah. think I'll repeat. I think I've done. It. I've, I've got. I haven't got the tattoo, but I've got the T-shirt. So I've, I've done that. Quality. It's something I think I may be on a bit of a lag. Sorry. Um, maybe, maybe. So I could drop. Right. I am. Um, yeah. So I've. It's something I've always been interested in. It's something that I was possibly planning on doing next year, but then um, I've just started with a running coach, and I may have booked in it probably four ultras and, and marathon so i think my year is kind of booked up next year so it's something i'm looking at in t- maybe 2025 2026 depending on sort of how the running goes because i, I kind of want to get a bit competitive next year i don't know if it's going to be a bit too early next year so then i might have to put it into 2025 and then the ultra uh, the iron man we'll see what happens um but for the uh, uh, the uh, just the end of the season there there was a 200 meter swim in the sea followed by a 2k run i did that one uh i won that one so i was like oh i like that oh, winning um, as well for you <laughs> i just finished i'm happy with finishing but this man wants to win i like it, I like oh, it. yeah it, it was only 200 meter swim then a 2k run never never only it's never only <laughs> um so the week after i signed up for one which was 500 meter swim then a 5k run cool uh the swim was brutal i don't like i was the only person there that didn't swim with my head underwater um didn't have i was the only one without a swim cap it was horrendous i like mm. i thought i was gonna die on my 18th length by drowning it just and then it took it yeah. my transition was probably about five minutes as well mm. trying to get my running trainers on but then i made up so much time on my run it was like ridiculous i think i came or something like that but it was because my run was my run was second fastest overall compared to, so if i can I, like the running plan i'm doing at the minute there's a bit of strength and conditioning so when i'm doing that i'm going to the gym and then i'm going for a swimming doing some lengths then but i'm more practicing on technique rather than just swimming okay. so if i can get that down and then i can get out on my bike and stuff i think but my running is my strong leg so i think i get it's the 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 part about Ironman that I find nerve wracking is that actually the thought of swimming and like bunched up between so many people and it that's mm-hmm. the part that's as I've heard you get punched, kicked, all sorts when you're doing it. So yeah, people talk about that. I'll be honest. There's maybe a bit of shoulder to shoulder, but it's not as as bad as it used to be. They've they do stagger start now. They kind of spread it out. When I did my Ironman, the pros went. Then 2,000 of us went off together. So it was like being in a washing wow. machine. Now yeah. it's, they kind of go beep, beep, and they kind of get people in in a more organized way-ish. But it depends. If you do a sea swim, then it, that, that's a different kettle of fish. I've done a couple of sea swims, and it was not pleasant. 
Um, oh. So, yeah, I'd recommend Lake. Get nice, nice. Yeah. There's there's one just up here, Jurich Bay, uh, called the Jordy Man. I think oh. that's going to be my first run to tackle. Cool. This is, is also my first prize. Uh, no, Jurich Bay, the lake there. And the, there's oh, actually the a prize for the first Jordy. Fantastic. <laughs> so that, that, that's fair, I'll, go, I'll go for that. Yeah, everyone's probably a Geordie up here, though, to be fair. Yeah, but there'll be people coming from everywhere for it, with it being yeah, a name. Man. Um, yeah, that's true. It's just not one of the actual official ones. Yeah. Uh, so, Neil, we, we ask uh, the majority of our guests this question, um, mm. and it's probably leading us on to, obviously, the purpose of why we have a podcast all around men's health, making sure men speak, all those sorts of things. Um, mm. Generally, what does what does men's health mean to you? Or, or health in general, when you think of men's health, mental health, physical health, when you think of, of that phrase, what does it mean to you? Wow, what does it mean to me? <clears throat> it, it's kind of, a, it's, it's a massive, to me, it's, it, it means it's, it's, part, it's a massive part of our lives, full stop. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that we need, that we need to, to nurture. It's something that we need to be aware of. It's something we need to educate ourselves about um, yeah. and just not ignore. And we use, mm-hmm. I use an analogy in one of the workshops I run for Mental Health UK about going to the gym. I think it's a nice analogy where if you go down to the gym and you're pushing weights and you've got some form, you're looking at the technique, great. And then if someone comes along and says, can you lift a bigger weight? You've been going down to the gym. You've been practicing. You've got a bit of form. You've probably in a, a position where you can maybe tackle that challenge. And I feel yeah. mental health similarly. If you, don't look, if you don't think about it in mental health or look after it. When that challenge comes along, you don't have a toolkit or you don't think, you know, you think, well, I can't remember what I've read about it or I haven't listened to these podcasts or I've not reflected on who I am and on my feelings. So it's much harder yeah. to deal with the challenge. So that's what mental health is to me. Something that you, something that's very tangible, something you need to think about. And, you know, we just spent, what, 10, 15, 20 minutes talking about physical health. And, it, and, there's, and that's super important. And it's linked to mental health. They're not separate things. Yeah. Improve yeah. your physical health, your mental health will get better. Improve your mental health, your physical health will get better. So they are mm-hmm. they are linked. But yeah. the challenge here is, yeah, we talked about physical people talk about physical health all the time, and we have our Strava and we have our how fast we're running and our what's on our bikes yeah. and that. But do we really talk about how we're feeling to our friends, to our co-workers, to our family? You know, like a question we ask in the workshops when I'm doing some teacher training, for example, is do you feel comfortable bringing up saying, I need a day off for my mental health? You know, I need, because I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling yeah. really anxious. I need time out. And some people can say that because the environment they work in, but I think mm-hmm. it's quite rare. But I don't think many can. Yeah. That, yeah. I, I feel there's almost that, well, there is, there's a stigma attached to if I admit there's something wrong with my mental health, then I'm a weak person. Like people feel mm-hmm. that, that that pressure within their own head and there's definitely been times in my life where i've had mental struggles and i have i'd rather say oh i feel sick or i've got mm. i've got the flu or whatever that might be versus saying do you know what i'm really stressed or i'm really anxious or whatever that might be um because i feel especially as a man and as a man you're inherently we're brought up to almost try especially like I've played sport so I've always tried to be a leader I've always tried mm-hmm. to be fairly vocal and like this is me I, I'll 
I'll put myself to the front and I'm not scared to to put myself in situations where it's really challenging because that's part of my personality. I then, when when I first started talking about like my mental health, I really found it as like I was being weak or I wasn't maybe putting mm. that, I'd been putting a front on for so long that then I was letting a guard down and I felt re- really vulnerable from doing that. Um, since that later down the line now i find it quite liberating actually to open up and and be honest um but there's that real change curve you go on from oh i'm putting myself out my comfort zone i don't really know what this is and i could get attacked for this or whatever that might be to actually now i gain strength from just being honest because people are more likely to have a real conversation with you if they feel like you're being a real honest person versus saying i'm perfect and i'm all right you said one word you said there right near the end, strength. And that's and yeah. we talk, you know, we're talking sport about this as well. That we need to reframe the conversation. We need to see it as a strength. Mm-hmm. If a sports person says, I need some help on a ment- on the mental side, you know, psychologically, that's got to be seen mm-hmm. as a strength. And yeah, there's some sports that are better than others for that. Sports are recognizing that. Um, it's got to be a case where somebody can ask for help in a very confidential manner, not just go along. Because mm-hmm. you know, an organisation say, "Of course, you can knock on my door." I mean, but for that young athlete to be to knock on the door, is somebody see me going in to see the sports psychologist, or is somebody else yeah. going to be in that room? Um, can be can be a bit of a barrier. But I think mm-hmm. we're all moving in the right direction. But it's really key that we 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 the whole all, all of society sees it as a strength that if Neil yeah. says. Somebody asked me how am I feeling, and I put it on my LinkedIn post today. Actually, about something that happened last week. You never get a one-word answer from me. You know, never get in the lift with me and ask Neil, "Are you okay?" Because you'll be there half an hour later. <laughs> um, yeah, I will tell you. Do you know, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed at the moment. My my daughter's just started secondary school and the homework. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. And then to your point as well, Lewis, about when we're honest with people and we tell them how we feel, it can yeah. it, give, it gives them permission. Or creates a yep. safe environment for them to say, "Yeah, yeah, I'm struggling a bit. I'm feeling a bit anxious." And we start normalising these words that we were had a bit of a taboo many years ago. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. My, my relationships with people who I genuinely care about have really strengthened from this process of just opening right. up because I've got to learn. I, I do this with a group of my friends, and I now know my friends on a different level than early 20s you know your friends mainly because you go on nights out and you might play a bit of sport mm. together that's it like now i'm 30 and i know my friends i know their fears i know the things they struggle with most they know mm. mine it's just it just gets on a completely different level of understanding each other so when i am down or they are down we can recognize it and actually be friends with each other and not just lads who might talk in a pub and, and i think that's the real difference fantastic yeah. So there was another question that I had. Um, so you, you're talking around like your views on sort of um, men's health. How do you look after your health? What do you do specifically? Do you have a routine? How, how do you keep yourself in check? Wow. What, what's your process? I, you know, I'm actually lucky, I think, on two aspects because we always go yep. back sort of nature versus nurture. And if you look yep. at psychology and attachment theory, and I've spoken to some people far clever than me about this and what you gain from which parent how you're born so i, I think i was born on, on reflection 
with my glass half full rather than half empty. Um, so that, there's a bit of luck there. But also, um, I'm lucky now in the way in, in what I do is that I can take my work and reflect it back on myself. So when and I do this a lot, when you know I talk talk in schools and academies, I talk about um, a support network, a social network, the importance of that, and knowing who you will go to if you've got a low mood or if you want distraction, or it's about sport, or it's about education, having that network. So I do, I reflect all back on myself and I'm very conscious of that. And I have friends that I use in different ways, um, mm -hmm. depending you know, you know, what, you know, what sort of mood I'm in or, or where I am. So a lot of it is reflecting on, on, on my work. It's, I'm very much a people person. I, you know, I, I thrive, being around people and that's something you know i have a coach myself and stuff something my coach and i've discussed going from my old career which was working in a team big team in the city to now working mm -hmm. on my own that's one of the things i miss so meeting you guys tonight building you know, a bonding making a connection this is what this is good for me it's good for my well-being so i suppose there yeah. the point there is there's not a one-size-fits-all so what make what brings you joy and straight away, I think of the weekend, we went around some friends and the lady's birthday was a um, lovely lady. Her husband brought her this, this bar of chocolate for her birthday and she described, he said, oh, he's, I won't mention their names in case they, they watch later and they're embarrassed. He said, oh, he brought me this bar of chocolate. It brings me joy. And I was like, wow, I love the way he's just describing a simple act of somebody buying something you really like. It wasn't, oh, he's bought me this chocolate and I like it. It brings me joy. And I said, that's mm. really powerful. And I think it's important yeah. for all of us to sit down and take a moment, put everything mm. aside. And there's, we can talk about this later, about the power of spending 10, 20 minutes just on quiet reflection every day, which is what I try and do. I'm thinking, what brings me joy? What, what makes me feel secure? What makes me feel safe? And then recognize that. And then said, okay, now I know that. Let me. So I know Neil Clark likes to be around people. I try and go to my local university once a week for my PhD. Um, I know Neil likes being around people. I sit in my local coffee shop once a week and work all day and, and have mm -hmm. you know, conversations with people. So that's, I think, is really important. Just what brings you joy? What makes you feel safe? What makes you feel secure? Mm -hmm. No, I think that's all super insightful as well. And it's so simple. It's like when, when I first got into this, uh, and this idea of maybe looking after my mental health and recognizing that uh, probably what you alluded to at the, at the start or described at the start, that you have to consciously be aware of your mental health it is a tangible thing. It's not mm. something that you're going to have, like you have to accept you're going to have bad days and that's also okay, but then it's how you open and get, get around it. So, so when I was doing like research into this and um, for me, I, there was there was so many theories, there were so many strategies, and some of it was fairly complex because people are trying to sell a version of their version of that course or that that retreat for you go away for a month and you do whatever. Like they're trying to sell a version of of joy, or happiness, of um, positive mental health. Where actually it's just doing really simple things that make you happy. That one of the big things for me is just being practicing a bit of gratitude and trying to be grateful like recognizing yeah. the things that are, are good in my life my life is not perfect by any stretch but actually i have loads of things in my life that if you'd asked me a year ago 
what I have today, I would have bitten my left arm off or whatever for, for it. Like it's literally my, my life in so many ways is so much happier. And it, not because materially much has actually changed, but just because I recognize the things that I'm lucky to have in my life. Um, and I think that's a big mindset shift that has really changed the way I look at life. Um, wow. Reese, probably same same question to you, Reese. In terms of how do you look after your mental health? What do you do? Um, it's a good question. I'm running Stephanie up there. Spend. I've got three three kids under six. I've got a, a three month old, two month old, a t- three month old, two year old, and a five year old. So house can be quite chaotic at the best of times. Um, I love spending time with them all, my, my partner. Um, it, it's great, but I need that break from there as well. I get that at work. My new job that I started a few months ago, I absolutely love it. I haven't been the job where I've been this happy doing something. Uh, it makes a massive difference when I don't, every Sunday night, I don't have that dread that I'm back to work. I don't mind waking up on a Monday. Actually, sometimes it's a nice little break from the weekend and having a on weekend with the kids and stuff it's sometimes nice to get a little break and go back into work but running is definitely my my escape um it's it just i don't know it, when i was saying earlier about getting out in nature and things as well i stopped uh wearing headphones doing most of my running just so i could actually feel things like yeah um there was what was the i know lewis touched on a bit of my story earlier and after i tried um try to commit suicide and i was in a mess for a while after um i couldn't really do anything and i'd signed up for manchester marathon that didn't go well well i missed me time by two minutes but like i hadn't trained so i'd done four hours and two minutes and i seen that as a massive fail yeah. um i think i'd done two six mile runs in about nine months probably hadn't really run properly since I did the wall in June before and this was April and I just I, honestly I, just, I couldn't have seen it as a bigger feeling that messed with my head so bad um but in a few weeks later I turned 30 and I did David Goggins four miles every four hours for 48 hours um the third run 12 o'clock at night I slept through it um woke up 20 to 4 on the set a, like oh my god I failed this as well and I lay there for about half an hour, just like, what am I going to do? Uh, and I got up and I'd done eight miles, um, but I forgot my headphones. And I just, four o'clock in the morning, the sun was just coming up. And it was it was crazy. I, I felt so at peace after all this time I'd spent in a battle um, like with myself to then feel completely at peace. Just hearing some cars, there was hardly any cars on the road at that time. And so, like I see the sun was coming up, the birds are tweeting, and, and that, that, that freedom of not having headphones and blocking everything out and just focusing on putting one foot in front of the other, feeling everything that was going on around us instead of... So for the rest of the runs that I'd done, I didn't wear headphones. I just... I was either with people or even the 12 o'clock and night one where I'd done on my own. Um, The next night, I, I, it was just... Honestly, it was crazy. That it, but the running and, like I say, without the headphones, I was debating whether I'd go to the gym in the morning or run to work. I'm running to work tomorrow now. I've... I've Speaking on this is uh, convinced us to do that, um, even though I don't like the cold and it's forecast rain. But yeah, it's. I guess I guess that's um, that's what keeps me good. Family and 
I don't really do much social things now as well, like with the stopping drinking. I can. I can go out and I can have non-alcoholic lager. I enjoy it and it doesn't bother us if people are drinking. It's just not what it's it's not something I want to spend my time doing now and sitting in a pub. I don't know, it's lost all its interest. All I used to want to do was go out and get as drunk as I could. I don't understand why, and well, I do now. Um, looking back at everything, it's just because how unhappy I was. And when you are saying about that big challenge when it comes up and if you don't take care of your mental health, all I did was drink on my mental health. If I was having a bad day, I would drink <laughs> and I drank. And then when mm. I did decide to stop, that's when the real challenge began because I didn't have any way of coping with the way I was feeling. And then that's how it ended up taking us to where it was. It took us about four months from deciding I wanted to stop drinking, having my last drink. And that was when I was stood on the lines and I haven't had a drink since that day. And I'm going to be eight months on Friday. It's over. Awesome. Yeah, well done. Yeah, Yeah, really proud of you, mate, as well. Yeah, it's been been some journey. Um, so, so Neil, throughout that, that point that you made before, and you were, I think you've touched a bit on working with elite athletes. I think now would be a good time to understand and, and tell the audience a bit around like what you do, the work that you do, um, your experience, because I, I think that's one super interesting angle. We've had um, Tim Harkness on from Chelsea Football Club, who has probably a fairly similar background to yourself. He's head of sports science and psychology at Chelsea Football Club. Um, and it's fa- fairly similar background to yourself in terms of elite sport, um, elite psychology, mental health. Um, that episode went really well and loads of people had loads of questions. And we do have some questions that we can touch on uh, for yourself because we put some polls out ahead of you coming on. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to understand some of the work that you do and okay. and equally how important sort of mental health is in, in the work that you do as well. Okay, so I wear many hats, so we'll talk about the sports one first. And one of the companies yep. that I work for, um, I think, is, is it okay to say company's name on this? There's no yeah, kind of, of course. You can say oh, anything you can of, say. I'm not going to put a can of Coca Cola here in front of place. So uh, yeah. I work very fortunate enough to, to be a training associate for Mental Health UK and for Switch to Play Foundation. And for both organizations, I go into sport academies. Now, let me just take a step back. A few, something, you know, a few years back, we were looking at the transition of an athlete, that major transition from their, from their athletic career to the new world and the loss of identity. And I think we all know that if you've got an athlete who is an athlete 24 by 7 for a number of years. You know, I know rowers who only got one day off in three months, for example, never been to a friend's wedding. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you know, you're, you're that rower with a bag full of medals on a Friday afternoon. And on a Monday morning, you're not. So you're not being told what to do, what, where, to, where to go, what to eat, when to go to sleep. That is really challenging to, to deal with. So I'd, I do a lot of work with athletes, helping them move from their athletic career to a new identity, a new world. Some don't mind if we talk about it as retirement. Some actually, I, I try not to. I like to talk about it as uh, evolution evolving yeah. if you I'm, pre, I'm pretty sure i'm saying it, if you uh, look at the concept in japan of ikigai and they talk about people getting older i don't think there's a word for retirement in japanese that's what i read once older people just evolve into other work which i love that so you don't just have that stop mm. boom so i imagine this you know i'm talking about these athletes i'd imagine if you retire 
So you've been working 40 years, especially for one place or maybe two, and suddenly you retire. You might think, oh, yeah. great, I've got all the time in the world. But what do you do on week two or week three or week four? I mean, so. Yeah, exactly. So that's a big, that's a big challenge for athletes. But we recognize very early on that we start talking about an athlete's transition on the day they retire or stop mm. or want to evolve. It's probably, it's not late. It's not too late, but it's not ideal. So we go right back and we want to talk to athletes while they're in their athletic career. We want to talk to people in sports academies because in some academies, they might not actually go on and be, you know, become professional athletes, yep. professional footballers, for example. So I do work running workshops in, in academies. We do a lot of work around well-being, transferable skills, some of that sort of stuff, thinking about your more – think about um, the person than just the athlete. So trying yeah. to get these young people to think about their identity and, and, and reflect on that. Being a sports person is part of who they are, not all of mm -hmm. who they are. And I know that if you said to a 15-year-old Neil who was at a sports academy, if, if an older Neil Clark came in with all this mental health stuff, I might start to switch off. I get that. But if I can just yeah. sow a few seeds, if I can just say, look, here, and what I always say as well is that what I put up on the on the, my 200-page PowerPoint presentation, well, it's not 200, but, you know, what I put up there is is a little bit from me, but it's mainly from the athletes I work with. And I'm really fortunate that I have 17 elite ex-elite athletes who helped me with my research because i'm doing a phd as well so anything mm -hmm. i put up there says about how do you manage the selection process how do you manage injuries it's not just from neil clark it's from an ex all black it's from an ex triathlete it's from an ex football footballer so mm -hmm. the, yeah i'm very you know, i'm very sort of strict on that to say to people that this is coming from people like you who have been on that mm -hmm. journey and I've asked them to look back yeah. what worked well when you were injured and how, what didn't work and what would you change? So that's mm -hmm. a lot of what I do. So I work with athletes across the spectrum, academies mm -hmm. to retire, even some athletes who retired maybe a few years ago and something's happened in their life. Maybe there's been a trigger and they've reached out to, to one, of my, one of the organizations I work with asking for help and we do, we do some mentoring uh, with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they're the, they're the two they're the two main things. I have to be honest, that is so interesting because, um, and I'm glad Ethan's not on because he would have just ripped me for bringing this up. <laughs> at least. one point, yeah, at one point in my life, I've been one of those athletes uh, when I was young. Mm. I was like at football academies and stuff growing up, and mm. like for years, my whole mindset was like, I'm going to be a footballer. That is mm. it. I'm going to be a footballer. Um, I don't care what anyone else says. That's all my life is going to be. I'm going to be a footballer, going to be a footballer, going to be a footballer. And it didn't happen, obviously. Um, I say obviously because I'm hosting a podcast and I'm not a professional footballer. Um, and that happened, what, probably around 18, where I probably gave up on that dream after wasn't at a club. I was like, right, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and whilst I, I felt like, I'm a fairly good communicator. Um, I'm pretty confident. I would put myself in difficult situations. I didn't have a clue what I what I could do and what I wanted to do because my whole life had been focused on, actually, I'm just only going to do this one thing. And I think, especially for young lads, um, I can only speak being a young lad, at sort of 14, 15, 16, 17, when you start getting offered your contracts, 
because you put everything into it, because that's the only chance you have to put everything in, otherwise you're never going to be successful, that there needs to be those conversations around, well, it, it, I think the stat is something crazy, like 90 odd percent never make it. And then out of that 90 odd percent, a huge pr- proportion of them never go back to playing football again. Like I didn't play football for like four years mm-hmm. or something after, because I'd fell out of love with it. Um, and I'd probably come in a little bit disillusioned. Um, so yeah, there's definitely so much more around that and how receptive are clubs and, and sort of academies and things to, to getting you in and, and talking about that sort of stuff. It's, it's getting better. It's getting better. So we've come a long way in 10 years and mm. I'm going to uh, drop in a few names now. There's people out there like Craig at Wimbledon, who I know really well, who is passionate yeah. about, you know, creating a legacy and an academy where you've got the footballer and they're going to do their best to make them as successful as possible, but also build a person. You've got Lee at Wigan. Mm. I was at West Ham the other night with Evan who's fantastic, really yeah. passionate about their, their young players. So it's getting better. There's still lots to do. It's a balancing act. Now, you mentioned there, I think you said something about to be successful, you've got to be 100% dedicated. Actually, mm. as an because I'm also an academic doing a PhD, yeah. what a number of us academics want to prove or show, and it's quite mm-hmm. difficult, is that if you, if you take time out from mm-hmm. being a person you develop other facets of your personality you can be just as successful if not more successful so there was mm. some research over in australia i can't remember exactly the study I looked at lots of australian um footballers um rules football and they followed them for their career and it seemed to show that those who had interests outside of sport those who who did start they took time out had longer careers and were more successful and that's mm. really powerful and i think when you to, to kind of back that up if you think on a, on a football pitch, on a netball court or swimming or whatever, there's only so much you can teach as a, as a coach. And something mm-hmm. could happen that's unpredictable. Now, if somebody's got all these other cognitive skills that they've built because of these other interests, they might be able to react in a more positive way and deal with that challenge that they've not practiced on, 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 the, on the practice field, if you get my point. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, so it's down to academics for us to do the studies to try and prove that. We, then we can influence the academies to give these young players time out. Yeah, I also think, as you were speaking there, I probably quickly reflected on something. So as a, a young sports person, I used to get in my head really badly. Like I would overthink. I would maybe, before a game, get a little bit nervous, more nervous than as you get older and you take the pressure off because it doesn't mean as much mentally or whatever. Where I think... If you then have other interests, then as a young sports person, maybe you're not putting all that. Wow, I have to really perform mm-hmm. here and put because you're tense, aren't you? Your performance isn't the same. And like when you're in the flow, you're you're relaxed, you're calm, mm-hmm. you think more clearly. So yeah, I, I definitely think there's legs in what you're saying. Um, because as a 30 year old who definitely doesn't play at a very good level anymore, um, I, I mentally feel so much more clarity playing versus when I was 18 because I was putting myself under so much pressure um, and the best players that you ever see they're so calm relaxed mm-hmm. they seem just to take everything in their stride and that's not just football I suppose that's that's all athletes it's how you can control your mind and think about what you're doing versus worrying about what you've got to do yes definitely and you something you said there as well about if you're 100% focused on your sport maybe you're worrying about it overthinking it 
Mm. Do something else, you feel calmer. And that's kind of like a distraction method, isn't it? And we talk about mm. in well-being, if something happens to you that's challenging, somebody says something that's unkind, I say this to a lot of young people in schools, one technique is to distract yourself, to distance yourself from that. So mm-hmm. your point there, that when you're doing something else, you're not thinking about your sport and about maybe you're not thinking about the performance you just had or the big game coming up. You're focusing on something else, which then reduces mm. the anxiety and puts, you know, it calms you down. So that's a good point. It's also tiring. It's also tiring, though, isn't it? Like if you've got a big game or something big coming up, even a presentation at work, for example, and you don't mm. sleep very well because you're overthinking, overthinking. Uh, if you can re- remove that, because sleep's so important, isn't it? If you have a good night's sleep, you feel a hundred times better in the morning if, than versus having a broken sleep. So, yeah, I think that's that, that's sleep, super interesting. Sleep, I said in every nearly every workshop. We call, I mean, in sport, they talk about controller controllables. Sleep, yeah. diet, exercise, and I and I say to the young people I work with, whether it's young athletes, young people in schools, because I go into secondary schools, I'm not asking yeah. you never to eat a pizza. I'm not asking you to have. 12 hours sleep and a power nap that's in your core for you or whatever and then do an iron that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying if you can make little changes you know sort of 80 20 rule so rather than having mm. those uh, four if you're having four takeouts a week cut it down to three still have your indian and your piece that's fine but just little tweaks if, you, if you're sleeping six hours a night can you go to six hours and 15 mm. So and those and I know I'm reading studies now where doctors, really forward-thinking doctors, are prescribing sleep, are prescribing diet, are prescribing exercise to people suffering from depression, and anxiety. And that's not to say there's not a place for medication. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, and if you read some of the stuff from Johan Hari and that about um, uh, depression and being connected and so on, if you we we probably don't sleep as human beings. I don't think we sleep properly nowadays. We don't breathe properly. We don't eat properly. But we can go back to you know getting on top of those things we can control. It doesn't cost any money, hopefully, about sleep and eating. And it's yeah, something yeah. you can change. You can change tonight if you think about it. So really important, yeah. the sleep, the diet, and the, and the exercise. Yeah. Do you know, there, was, there was one thing you said uh, before around um, so the work that you do and almost that transition from elite athlete or athlete into – I would describe it as like civvy street. And that's mainly my dad being in the military and I've done work with the military around uh, that transition from being in the military to civvy street. Have you done any work at all with the military at all? Because it seems like a very similar principle of transition from that. um, You're almost indoctrinated into your environment as an athlete, same as in the military. You are your own environment then, aren't you? Your habits, everything are... Like you say, you're cooked for, you're told where to be at what time, you're wearing a uniform every day. Um, there's all that sort of pressure in what you do. Have you done anything to reflect that with the, with the military at all? I've not done any work with the military. I know some people have done, and you're spot on. It's yeah. very, very similar. Yeah. I mean, the parallels are, are, are easy to see. And I can only assume a lot of people, when they leave the military, I sort of wander around a bit lost in that. I know yeah. I have friends who, who have started up apps and, and, and communities to try and get those people back together. So I, f- I think the military quite good. That I hope they're quite good at having maybe alumni and veterans getting together because yeah. that's really important. But no, the parallels there, maybe prisons as well, coming out of prison if you've prisons. been in prison for yeah. years. You know, you've had a prison identity and you come out and like, well, who am I? What, what do I do now? So lots of, mm. lots of parallels there. Yeah, 
I, I suppose it's then reflecting on maybe the principles in your work. So if maybe we could delve into some of that then, because um, I'm thinking whilst I would love our audience to all be elite athletes, they're probably mm-hmm. not. S- some of them are probably more likely to be maybe some people who've been in prison or people who've been in the military or people who've been in one career throughout their life and then looking to maybe transition to do something else because life gives us these challenges every now and then, especially with the pandemic happening. We all had those moments like, do I want to keep doing the same things? It's almost been like a master reset for lots of people, isn't it? To almost take control of their life. Um, so if, if we look at some of the work you do and the principles of helping someone transition from one identity to another, what is some of that work that you do with them in terms of, is it real reflection on their own skill set, their mindset, their goals, mm-hmm. their beliefs? Like, what does that look like? It's a great question. And one thing to add to all that, that list of people that had these challenges, you said about work, yeah. you mentioned about choosing uh, a new career. Some people actually uh, don't have that choice. They get made redundant or lose their job. Yeah. And so that's, exactly. and, I, and I was made redundant many years ago. And, and suddenly you're, it's, it's like being injured as an athlete because it wasn't planned. Boom, you're out and you walk out the door. You can't say goodbye to anyone. You sit on the train coming home, giving it, okay, what's going on now? So, yeah. yeah. So another, you know, another example. Back to your question about helping people on that, on, on that, that transition. Mm-hmm. It's really, I've really had to work at my active listening. You probably can tell mm-hmm. that there's a lot going on here and I have ideas and I like talking. So I've had to really slow down, just really listen and listen between and kind of read between the lines and sort of probe mm-hmm. and find out, you know, what sort of makes that person tick. And I'm thinking of one example that I work with and we were talking about why they went into this sports career and the sort of person that made them and what they gained from it and and what they might want to you know, sort of take from that. And as we were having this conversation uh, together, because the athlete hadn't fully left that career, but was thinking about it, mm-hmm. but it was a bit of fear, we kind of scratched below the surface and worked out that the, athlete, that the person had gained a lot from their athletic career and there was a worry that they would go back to who they were before they were that sports person mm-hmm. and lose everything mm-hmm. that they gained. So we did a lot of work on, okay, what, you know, what was really, what's really important to you? What have you learned? What are the sort of things that you want to take from your sports career and have in your new world? And how can we, how can we develop that? And it could be something as simple as still being a competitive sports person, but in something else with, you know, with, with less stress, maybe it could be mm-hmm. another new challenge, a long-term goal. So athletes, usually have long-term goals, one year, four years, eight years, whatever, whether it's Olympic cycle or football league, mm-hmm. etc. And and people tend to thrive on that. The research kind of shows that it's good for your well-being to have goals in life, to have aspirations. That's actually good. Something to strive for, something to make, help you get up in the morning to, to get going, to achieve. And so that's yeah. something. So, what, so if you're losing, if you're moving away from this identity where you had all these goals – like daily, weekly, monthly goals. What can we what can we put in place now? What can we work towards that that would satisfy that requirement? So it's goals, but in a, in a, in a different setting. So that's something we look at as well. Mm. It's interesting you say about goals and aspirations. That <clears throat> sorry, um, with with me, if I don't have a race signed up for, I won't run. That's mm. why I kind of went absolute gung ho next year and signed up for. 
Edinburgh Marathon, then the wall, and then three ultras at the back end of the year, because then it keeps us keeps us for the um the full year busy. And I'm I'm a weird I'm weird. I'll openly admit that even though I know it's good for us, I will just sort of if there's nothing there, there's no end end goal, and it's just oh well, there's no point in going out and what am I training for? What am I doing for? And I, mm-hmm. I'd stopped setting goals when mm-hmm. when I was struggling quite a lot last year. Um, yeah, I, I, I did. I didn't have any goals. I didn't have anything to aim for. I'd finished the wall. Um, and then, yeah, it was, well, there's no point in running now. I've, I've, I've completed that. Um, and yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. it's daft it's really because I know how good it is for me. I know what it does to us, but yeah, if there's no goal, no aspiration, if there's nothing to build up for, then there's no. Then I just switch off and don't do it, and that's why I just need to keep setting new targets, new goals, and that's what I've I've got to. Especially on the path I'm on now, it would be very easy to like. Well, I know how easy relapsing is and stuff. Um, I I listen to like a lot of podcasts on that sort of stuff just to try and keep me aware of what well what I need to be aware of. So. And that this mm-hmm. is the most important. Keep me outside. Keep me running, and then that's what I'll keep. It's, that's what it all goes back to. If I if I end up pick up a drink again, I lose my family. I lose my kids. I lose everything. It's simple, mm-hmm. and I don't want that. So I've got to, I've got to keep myself happy with them goals, like you say. Yeah. Well, thanks, Lewis, of what you were saying earlier you know- about. You asked me if I had tips about looking after your well-being, and that's one yeah. you didn't mention a lot. And I've talked about something in my work and then Reese's backed it up with, you know, for people listening to this, you know, what goals do you have in life? And we're not talking about doing Ironman. We're not talking about being a professional athlete. It can be simple, you know, something like couch to 5K, which is a a wonderful concept. It could be simple as just walking a bit further or it could be simple as seeing some close friends twice a month, you know, but just mm-hmm. having it, you know, or it could be, it could be some education. It could be learning an instrument. It could be drawing. It could be, it's, it's not a one size, one size fits all. But if you try lots of things and find what, find out what brings you joy, then give yourself mm. a goal about what brings you joy. You see how it all links together, and then start. You're starting yeah. to build up this tool that's going to protect your well-being, yeah. even when it's going down. You can think, okay, back into my toolkit. Right, go for a walk. Go for a run. Do some painting. Yeah, I, th- I think that's so important. It's like it's like that thing in life. Well, for me, the years that I haven't had a holiday booked, work seems to drag, and it's like, ah, oh, work's getting on top of me. But do you know if you just have a holiday booked, you almost have that like countdown, don't you? Because it's like, ah, oh, well, I'm going on holiday, and you see people put a status on, in 432 days, 6 hours, 12 minutes, 11 <laughs> seconds, I am going on holiday. But it's, it's that having that destination to get to, because... Without That's it, nice, life yeah. is like being on a, on a on a hamster wheel, isn't it? We're we're just going through the motions every day, every day, every day, every day. And as humans, I feel we always need to either to be building up to something, or we need those real moments of like, because having something booked in the future is building up to achieve something. You're and if it's a holiday, you're achieving getting to that point in my life where I don't have to be at work, where I can take time with my f- friends, family, whatever, and relax, switch off, enjoy myself. Like it's getting to those moments. And the things that I've tried to do that have helped me is put enough of those things in place three months ahead, six months ahead, a week ahead, depending on where my moods are at, is putting things 
in advance, and I'm not amazing at it because I am a, a typical bloke, and I, and I will slag off all of us blokes here. I am not the most organized person naturally, like at all. So I have to consciously think about it. I have reminders in my notepads. I have reminders in my work calendar. Like Lewis, even it could just be half an hour. Take some time, go for a walk, or right. You need to plan something now for a month in the future, just so I've always got those little moments of happiness joy as you say and and then get to receive the gratitude from okay i'm grateful for my past self for setting me up for something good to look forward to or that i'm now doing this that i probably wouldn't have planned if i wasn't proactively thinking about it um but yeah i, th- I think that there was definitely some really interesting points there um reese there is a because you've recently gone through a bit of a career change right you were a chef for many years now you're working for a charity um how did you find that transition from sort of because again you were you achieved quite a lot i think you were northeast young chef of the year like your career was going in one direction as a chef um something you're really passionate about to then now what you're doing how did you find that from i imagine as a chef you had some like obviously you had recognition you probably felt pride self sense of achievement there was a, a level of skill set there to then going doing something that probably isn't as natural how did you find that it was hard <laughs> um i uh, i love being a chef it was absolutely brilliant um it was a horrible industry it's terrible really actually when you look back and think i was working what 100 120 hours a week on minimum wage on a zero hour contract Sounds horrible when you say it, doesn't it? Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I I was com- I was coming out with quite a lot of money because I was oh, doing four million hours a week, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. It was it was the most unhealthy lifestyle in the world. You'd I'd be working five, six days a week, starting six, seven in the morning, working through till eleven, twelve o'clock, saving the last meals you get pints brought up you would finish them you'll go downstairs have more pints then you'll go off to somewhere else and you would sometimes be out at four or five in the morning taxi home hour sleep taxi back to work do it all again and the recognition the the recognition was you've done well he has the pints so you can kind of see where my problem for alcohol came from um but the actual the actual job itself it was it was great you do you become you become like a family in the kitchen. You spend that much time with them. You that that bond you get with the different people. I've got, I I don't really speak to many people now, but I do have some cl- close friends still from from that industry, and it's it 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 is a special type of bond you can build in in the workplace. And then was just before well, I'd moved to Bermuda after I won the competition, and that's where I met my girlfriend, who I'm with now. Um, we came back from Bermuda. Um, and it was just before she fell pregnant. She she's a, like like from an hour and a half away, so it was tough for her. She didn't know anyone up here. Mm-hmm. She was finishing work. She was going back and sit, when we'd moved back to my mom's house at the time when we first moved back, and she was, it was just not a very nice lifestyle for her. So I said, right, I'll stop being a chef. Um, and I ended up working in a contact centre. So you can imagine going from being in a chef where it's that mad atmosphere to in a contact centre where it was sitting down all day. I was used to being on my feet. The first day I went in, it was just training. And I started at nine and I was finished by two o'clock. I was back in my mom's kitchen by three o'clock, I think. And I stood for probably about an hour, just pacing back and forth in the kitchen. What am I supposed to do now? 
I'd never had this time mm-hmm. to myself in six, seven years. I, I'd been a chef. Um, and the adjustment was quite tough. Um, it's a complete different career. I ended up moving after about six months into the payroll department. And then that became a bit more of a challenge and stuff. And well, that was another change completely from being in the contact center. And that's how I fell into doing payroll. So that's where I am now. But, um, yeah, I, I guess trying to break it down, I, I don't think I really thought much on it because I was drinking at that time. And mm-hmm. if, if I felt anything, I would just have a drink on it. Um, yeah. So I'm only at a certain point of breaking down different parts of my life from the different challenges. And that's probably not one that I've looked at yet. But yeah, it's, it, yeah, it was, it was tough. That's, it. that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think... Um, it's it is tough. It's it's a it's a hard change, and especially like like I say, I think I'm waiting to find out if I've got the ADHD as well. So being a chef would have been there, uh, would have been really good for that. The constant movement and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I know we've touched on that on the podcast before, and it's there's a few of us going through that process at the moment. So I'm pretty sure from the conversations we've had, if if one of us doesn't have ADHD, we probably all don't because whatever we've got, I think we will have a version of something fairly similar. But yeah. Uh, Neil, you mentioned as well, so you worked in the city before um, to then what you're doing now. How was that transition for you, and especially knowing what you know? So I'm asking probably here as much to to reflect on the challenges you had mm-hmm. and how, you, how you're probably maybe still adapting to them and, and what that was like for you going from, I imagine, in the city was probably fairly corporate, I imagine, to then, again, working by yourself now is very different to that type of environment, isn't it? Yeah, I was working for investment banks in the city, doing IT, getting paid good money to turn things on and off. I then yeah. got promoted, <laughs> so I was then telling other people how to turn things on and off. You know, that, that was a sort of level yeah. of it. I love the uh, IT crowd jokes. Love it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I, you know, I enjoyed it. That's not good. Don't get me wrong. My first degree was computer science. I, I did enjoy it. I My wife always thought I was a bit of a different IT manager because – I'm not saying IT managers don't like people, but I'll be careful what I say here because I might be watching this. Um, generally, okay, in some industries, people become managers because they've been there the longest or they're the most technical, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I passionately believe nobody should be a manager or a leader or responsible for people in any walk of life unless you have consistent training. I mean, not just a one-off workshop. You should yeah. have a mentor and a coach and monthly training. It is a huge responsibility because mm-hmm. the decisions, the way you behave, the decisions you make have a massive can have a massive impact on people and how they feel. So I so I enjoyed managing people, and sometimes my teams would get bigger because just because oh Neil likes managing people, have a few more people. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe it fed the ego, but I did. I went out there and got myself trained up. I had a great, okay, no, I had a great manager as well, John Brooks from years yeah. ago. So I was lucky that I had a great mental manager, someone I could, you know, look to and mimic their behavior. Yeah. So, but what happened after about a number of years, something was missing. I felt as though mm. I was a small cog in, in a big machine. I wasn't fulfilled. And I started to look at how, what do I really want to do? And that's when, went back to uni, did a master's in sports business and leadership. So combining my kind of leadership experience and my passion for sports, um, absolutely loved it. Got into sports psychology, met a great professor who got me into the world of well-being. 
Um, mm. And it's, it's, you know, I've been very supportive on the way from my family and, 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 and previous work colleagues. Mm-hmm. And it's been a fascinating journey. And reflecting on it, it, it it's, I love learning. So when, so if, if, if I think about my values, my values are curiosity. I'm curious about the world. So because I had these values that maybe I didn't realise, that helped. I remember sitting in my first lecture at Loughborough University London and we were doing a lecture on uh, leaders, Alex Ferguson. I'm a Manchester United fan, so maybe we're going to get lots of angry people now for thinking that chat. <laughs> I had to go home and write about it. And I'm walking home thinking, I love this. I'm, my homework is to write about my football team. It was, it was brilliant. I always remember that. Yeah. So lots of good moments, lots of positive moments. And then reaching out to people like Switch to Play and Mentor of UK and learning about their world and being given the opportunity to to deliver, to write content for them and, and, and then mm. eventually to meet great people like yourself as well. So yeah. I'm still on the journey. I don't think I will ever, the journey will never end. I believe in learning mm. for life. I, yeah. I, I love when I meet new people and have new experience like, like tonight. Yeah. And we're grateful, very grateful for you coming on as well. Like it's, it's hugely insightful to, to listen and learn from your experiences, definitely. Um, one thing that you said earlier as well, so you mentioned that you you feel naturally you're a glass half full person, um, mm. which I actually think I am, to be fair. And I think that's served me pretty well in life. But have there been moments in your life where it's been challenging? I, I'm going to presume yes, because we've all had them. Um where you've had to and and how have you got through them so if there has presume there has and how have you got through them like what what have you relied upon to to get you through maybe some challenging times well okay take deep breath so i i had a a very bad experience a year ago in a triathlon where my best friend had a a sudden cardiac arrest and actually didn't survive the swim Let's put it out there. So, yeah, he was doing triathlons with me the last few years. My best mate from the last 20, 30 years. Names, nickname's Mouse. We all call him Mouse. He's a small guy. And, yeah, it happens in triathlons. It's, it's horrible. And so I was on the swim. He's 200 metres behind me. I don't know what's going on. I did the bike ride. Then went on the, on the run. And then they pulled me off the run. And I thought they pulled me off the run because, I don't know, I'd done something wrong or knocked someone over, whatever. And then they told me what happened. Mm. And that was that was horrendous. And, and even now I can kind of feel people's voice changed a little bit. So I had to yeah. you know, deal with that, bring his stuff home to his wife, his family. It was it was, it was was as bad as it, you know, in my mind, for me, in my context, as bad as it gets. Luckily, I had my mate Jonesy with me who didn't know Mouse, so he could help me get home. Um, yeah. so that was difficult and and to your point about coping with that it's it was friends really it was connections again it was having a close friendship group we always had that but we became close closer and I suppose that's group psychology when something happens a group kind of comes in and supports each other mm-hmm. uh, and and from what we've done we've been very deliberate about this we've said you know, we were talking earlier about life. You just if you don't set goals up, life can just happen. We said, look, mm. we've got to put things in the diary to see each other. We've got to make the effort. So we started. You know, we've been doing some half marathons together the last couple of years. My mate, his other best friend, flies over from Spain, and we do a half marathon together. We do a yeah. there's a, a boat park 
which is lots of old mods and soul boys and the Thames. We do that every three months, a couple of us. So we've been very deliberate about looking after each other, about speaking yeah. about our feelings, about making sure we're okay. And, and then having a goal as well. And the goal is my friend's legacy. We're going to build mm. his field of jobs. He worked at the school. He was really loved at school. So we're going to build. And there's deliberate language here. It's not we are trying to build or we are aiming to yeah. do this. We are I promise his family. We promise family. We're going to build an all-weather sports pitch at the school that he worked at in Bratnell, Wide Island School. It's going to be you know Andy Hayes' field of dreams. So having that that goal that we're and we've raised twenty five thousand pounds already. My friend, Amazing. best friend Lloyd, who really well. Um, ran the London Marathon this year in a beer can, went for a world record, raising money for now. So we're doing wow. it with a bit of fun, with a smile on our face. There are tears. You know, I have yeah. cried at times when we've been, I don't know, at a gig and a, and a song's come on or, you know, Mouse would have been there. So, you know, there's been hugs, there's been cries. We're, we're not afraid to show our, show, show our emotions. emotions. So, yeah, I think it, it's being honest with each other. And, and, and having that goal and and something to aim for that we're going to create something permanent uh, in his memory. Firstly, I'm so sorry to hear that. That is that story. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, like that's that's some real serious stuff. So, yeah, really so, sorry to hear that. And obviously send all of our thoughts to his family, because, again, that is just a, a ter terrifying story more than anything that you could be out mm -hmm. doing something and it can just happen like one minute you're here the next minute you're not and yeah, yeah i think we've all us as a group of of men doing this podcast have probably been closer to moments like some of my stories fairly similar to reese's in the sense that i got to the point of not wanting to be here anymore um and i'm just so grateful that i have had this moment in my life to be able to say okay, something wasn't right in my life. I now have to do things to make sure that it's it's okay. Same with Reese and like us as a group of mates. So what you're saying around making sure you prioritize time with your friends because mm. it may not be as morbid as I'm making it sound because they might not be here tomorrow, but it's actually just about making sure that you're there for each other and that you enjoy life the best you can. So like you say, finding those moments of joy, that's so important. And I think as a group yes. of our, us as a group of mates, we're trying to maybe get a bit better at that. Reese, I don't know what your thoughts are on that one. Yeah, no, like, like Lou said, I'm really sorry to hear that. And it is tragic. You're going yeah. to do something that's there. To, it's a goal. It's it's something you do. To freedom, enjoyment. And that happens. I've heard, yeah, I'm sorry. That's what, yeah, it's just yeah. horrific. But like you said, that friendship, yeah, that's so important. I think it's actually made us realise that maybe the full step back that I'm doing by not really doing any socialising isn't completely right. Because I'm kind of, although I'm trying to do things that I think are right for me, maybe I need to also get out a bit more to be there for other people as well, because people have been there for me. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough one because it, it is a it's it, hard it trying is, to balance everything isn't it yeah yeah and then three young kids i do this every week i've got a training plan and i'm like it, you got a missus of the essence i've got a missus yeah and she's yeah. sometimes not my my biggest fan when i'm 
book too many things in to say. Um, yeah. No, it, 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 time does get tough, and like it's important these years, especially for the three. Then um, my son plays football three, four, five times a week, and that's just yeah. one of them. He's the luckily the other two are at a young age and they're not doing anything because then I really don't know if I would ever have a single second to myself to even do a 5k run um, yeah. well you run it well, in about I, I, 18 minutes or something so I think you'll have time 19 and a half is my PB <laughs> um, but no, that, that whole friendship thing I think that's something I do need to look at because it's, it's probably been a while since I've caught up with some people but touching on that as well someone reached out to me last week Um you met you met actually it was a couple of weeks ago he messaged and he just said um do you ever do meetups with a podcast and i said oh not at the minute and i kind of left it at that and then i reached back out to him and asked how he's doing and he said he hadn't been doing too great so i met met up with him uh, one night last week and he was able to get stuff off his chest and spoke with his family spoke with his friends and told them the situation and no it it's 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 doing a good thing this podcast for someone to be able to reach out to us and talk for the first time about stuff that has happened over quite a long period of time and it it, it is a reward for sort of because that's the struggles I've been through all I want to do with that is to not let other people go through that because that I didn't same. know there was any other way out yeah I didn't it didn't feel like any way out I was asking for help and there was nothing coming back I was getting to it like nine months twelve months bloody blah, blah and I ended up I ended up close to well, close to suicide again a couple of weeks after because I'd reached out to everybody I possibly could, and I got nowhere. Um, mm. I don't want I don't want a lot of people to feel like there's no option. No, mm. There is an option. There's always an option. Reach out. Drop me a message. Someone there they feel bad. Like, just reach out to anybody. And there's 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 definitely ways of getting help, even if it's not yeah. through the actual official channels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think what we talked about earlier around you gain so much strength in sharing and it, it might not even be that the other person says or does anything in particular to really help. But sometimes saying it out loud, you almost you take control of how you feel where when it's in your own head, you're constantly fighting. You're almost trying to suppress the thoughts, but actually mm -hmm. by speaking it aloud, it almost becomes real and then it's tangible and then you can rationally th think about what it is you've said and then you, you can maybe start to problem solve solutionize positive thoughts around it and overcome it um that was definitely my process and it definitely helped me a lot um neil there's there's probably a there's definitely a question for you within this um if you so within your your work and what you do if someone was athlete non-athlete um civvy whatever um if someone's struggling what advice would you give them like what should they do and again, I'm not. I'm not going to say that you are obviously the gold-plated expert, and you, your your words gospel, and that's it. Because again, I know no one ever wants to be that person to say everyone should do this because everyone's an individual. We all have our own sort of um, things that work best for us. But from your experience and, and the work you do, what do you think people should do? I think what Reese was saying, I mean, it's it's reach out to people. It, it's it's taking a moment like you just said as well Louis to understand and this is where it's really difficult actually because if you're this goes back to my point earlier about when you're in a good place you feel you're in a good place start putting mm. 
connections in place, that support network, start thinking about when I'm not in a good place, what am I going to, going to do? Because when you're not in a good place, sometimes it's hard to be rational, isn't it? You're not thinking rationally mm. when you're so far down there. So really it's it, for people listening today, really think and reflect on what we've been talking about and what can I do now to, to start protecting my well-being. So when that challenge comes along, I'm in a better place. I mean, if you are struggling now and you, you're and like we say, you're reaching out and you're not getting anything back, then mm-hmm. then maybe it is as simple as going on to social media and reaching out to people like mm-hmm. you two, for example. You, I'm sure, if anybody sent you a message via the podcast, yeah. via LinkedIn, via Instagram, whatever, and said, "Oh yeah, I, you know, I'm not feeling good," boom, you'll reply. I would reply. So anybody listening. Mm-hmm. What me and I on LinkedIn, you know, Neil Clark Luff, where you'll find me. And yeah. there's loads of Neil's Reese Lewis's. There's loads of us who care yeah. about people. And yeah. so if you're not getting the help, just just you find someone in the space. And I know loads of people at lots of charities, whether it's Go Again, Sporting Wellness, Switch to Play, If You Care Share, who are up in the Northeast, passionate people who respond as soon as they could if they knew you were struggling. So it's just reach out, just send that note, just send it to, to friend, family, or even a stranger, even, even on the tube or just turn or whatever, or, or a parent at the school drop off, just say, Oh, do you know what? I'm not feeling good, feeling low. I, yeah. I believe that humans by default are good people. We want to be good. We, we want to, we, we, we belong in a tribe. We, but we are, our default is looking after each other. That's how we thrive. Now, life gets in the way and makes us behave in a way that doesn't look like that. But I do think if you talk to people, 99.9% of people will say, but what, coffee now, or what's that, or, or whatever. They just go for a walk, or I'm here. Just that powerful, I'm here. What do you need? I, that's, mm-hmm. that's what I would say. And I know it's not always easy. Yeah, I think when yeah. um, the char- the charities as well that you were just mentioning there, they, mm. when I w- w- no one pointed that out, no doctors, no no one I reached out to, not one of them mentioned the charity, and because I was in such a rut with myself, I didn't think to research it. And I d- I do a lot of fundraising for if you care share now because of, and I'm doing an event um, next month which is going to be raising money for them as well. It's going to be my first public speaking sort of event i'm nervous as hell for it but it's yeah like i didn't i didn't realize that there was those sort of things that i could reach out to to. Mm. rang the doctors i rang the numbers they told us to ring um the crisis team were involved and every one of them just shut us down and said i just try this try this and it was just Mm -hmm. if you if if you can speak to somebody that's in a better state of mind you reach out to that person then they can be the ones that go like think rationally enough to be like right well there's this place that that can help you because when you're sort of in that mindset you can't you can't you're not going to be thinking clearly enough to sort of think outside the box with different ways you can go about you're just going to listen to the people that you call because actually bringing the doctors bringing the people they're telling you to is hard enough and that's a big big step that you're taking to then be shut down it's 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 tough and and i know like 
I didn't want to keep ringing people because I didn't want to keep getting shut down. And I shut the door myself mm. because I didn't want someone else to keep doing it for us because it was actually very, very, um, what's the word? I can imagine it's demoralizing, demoralizing yeah. it. It would mm. ruin that little bit of, because you push yourself out your comfort, comfort zone to even speak up. We don't naturally do it. Yeah. So you, when you do it, you almost need people to meet you probably more than halfway. It feels yes. like to, because you're, you're maybe not at halfway because you're, again, as a man, me personally, I had never spoken up about how I felt for 29 years. So it got to 29 just before my 30th birthday and effectively had a breakdown and was like, shit, I can't handle this. And life got on top of me and it was years and years and years of suppressing it. Luckily, when I opened up, people stepped up, but they probably stepped up more than I opened up. But without that, hearing your story, Reese, I, I can imagine I probably would have went back the other way and withdrawn myself a little bit more because that's you almost feel like if you're making yourself vulnerable, you need people to be really, um, I don't know what the word is, it's, really emotion, like emotional back, but in, in like a caring, supportive way. It's that whole hashtag, it's okay to talk and things like that as well. And it's, it's the, the, the message is speak up if you're struggling. But then I spoke mm -hmm. up when I was struggling and I got nowhere. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like, yeah. why, why did but I speak up? I've made myself worse from speaking up. And it, 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 like I say, it actually did make me worse. I was, there, was, there was a point a few weeks after my suicide attempt where I was parked up in a car park next to a pub, next to a garage where I could get vodka or any sort of spirit. And I was contemplating drinking because then I knew... If I was sober, I couldn't do it because of uh, the hurt that it would cause other people. But because of what alcohol did to me and how selfish it made me, I knew that mm -hmm. I wouldn't care about that at that time. Um, yeah, and yeah, it it it's it's a mad, it's a mad feeling. It's a mad situation. I think it's 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 a it's a hard time to be around at a minute because of all the services seem to be quite battered, especially the NHS yeah, one. They're, so they're, they're, they're probably underfunded at the moment and things, which is yeah, making it tough. So, yeah, but I think the main message is reach out to somebody. There's always somebody that can help you and then they can be the one to point you in directions. And you've always got places like Samaritans and that, that you can call um, if you're in a time of need and you can't get through to someone that you would want to speak to. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's a really good. And it show just flipping on on its head. For those of us we're in a good place, we're we're feeling a good place. <clears throat> we need to be proactive and making sure our friends are. And I always think about it on, on say you take WhatsApp for example, you know, um, and WhatsApp can be used for good. And you have all these groups, and if you've got friends who are active on a WhatsApp group and they go quiet. Don't mm. just think, oh, they're a bit moody or a bit quiet, whatever. Just, just be, just try and be a bit proactive and say, hey, hey, what's are you okay? Not heard from you for a while. What's going on? Why not? Are you okay? No, it's, it's a, how are you feeling? What's what's going on? Yeah, yeah, so, that's, it. that's it. Open question. More though, yeah, an open question because we'll yeah. how many times? How how are, okay? But no, no, no. How are you feeling? What's going on? Yeah, 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 hundred yeah, percent. So yeah. we can fix that as well. But I, I hear what you're saying, Reese. And we talk about this in our charities as well. And we offer uh, a, like emotional health. And we, we, we've talked about this, that 
what if we we offer a service if somebody opens you know puts a hand up and needs help we've got to have something in place to support them until you know to, you know until they're in a better place and so we're doing mm. partnerships with other charities and that's one of the things i want to go and i was talking to a, an organization called go again recently bob there who is, is brilliant about how can we bring all the charities together because there's so many mm. charities doing similar things but so many different. amazing work yeah and i wonder if, if if we could just all come together and not compete for the same parts of the pie but make the pie bigger and, and use it, like economies of scale and have a, a mm. network across the uk and if i can't help with my this hat on i know bob down the road at go again can or matt mm -hmm. if you can share or sporting wellness and leave our ego and look there's no egos but there are leave them at the door and just work together and that's one of the things one of my long-term goals is to bring and, yeah, and, and you guys as well. And then we can, you know, it could be mm -hmm. more than charities. It could be podcasts. It yeah. Could be yeah. Well-being consultants. But it probably has to be. It probably has to be to cut through. So, mm. because when, when Reese was saying he didn't know where to turn, I didn't have a clue either. I'm being honest. I did not have a clue what to do because the, uh, charities are generally underfunded. They are generally, most of them, unless they are the big ones, they're very small staffed having a marketing team and spending loads of money on ads because I work in marketing to, to get seen properly costs an absolute fortune. They don't have the money to spend to be seen properly. So the services very much rely on doing a really, really good job and word of mouth. Like generally that's where most of these small charities get referrals from. Um, there, there might be, there might be in some doctor surgeries, they might have some leaflets there. Um, but just relying solely on the NHS becomes way harder, I think. And I think the idea of having a real framework across the UK of a true support network, because most people who work for charities as well or have the, the desire to go and set up a charity have probably gone through something similar themselves or been affected by something similar because that's their core purpose in life, to support mm -hmm. that cause where necessarily, and I'm not here to slate the NHS by any stretch, the NHS are trying to be one size fits all, do everything, mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily get that true love, care and attention that you really need to support you as an individual because you're following a set process versus tailoring it to your sort of needs. Um, I do have a question, Neil. I have a number of questions, actually. Um, so first would be um, in the elite world, and obviously you spend some time in the elite world with elite athletes. How are they with speaking up? And I know you said before that it's starting to get better, probably with the introduction of things like sports psychologists and stuff. Mm. But what is the culture generally around elite sport and people speaking about their mental health? I think it's challenging. I think mm. because you've got this tension that if you have coaches who have a, a mindset about you know mental health or a stigma towards it, then for, for the athlete, it's harder for them to... To speak up if the athlete feels that it can be seen as a sign of weakness then maybe they're not going to be selected for the team for mm. the olympics for their sport it's really difficult and one of the the lectures that I do i do at loughborough university london is around a concept called psychological safety and it's been big in the sort of business world for years it's getting and it's getting more traction now We've only started doing research. My supervisor, Professor David, Fle David Fletcher at Loughborough, has done some research on this in the sports world. It's only happened the last few years. And I did some work at a rugby club not so long ago on this. I think when it comes to mental health and well-being, 
we've got to look at the whole ecosystem. We can't. We do lots of work at the athletes, but we've got to look at all the other significant adults, the parents, the host families, the coaches. You know, who's caring for the carers? Look at the whole system and create an environment where, it, like I said, right at the start of the podcast, it's seen as a strength to say, you know, I'm feeling a bit anxious or overwhelmed. I need to speak to someone. It's not seen as a weakness. But going back to your question, I think it's difficult. I think it's even like being in the workplace and like we said earlier, would you ring up work and say, I need a day off, I'm not well. Oh, what's wrong, Neil? Have you got a headache or a bad stuff? Oh, no, I'm feeling quite overwhelmed at the moment. I'm feeling quite anxious. I need time out. Would I have ever done that in my old career? Unlikely. Maybe with one of my old bosses, yes. With some of the other bosses, no. Um, mm. Would people do it now? It's really situational. It depends on how long you've been there, how close you are to your co-workers. I, you know, I do work with teachers and one of the challenges they have is if they phone in, if they don't go in, the, you can't, you know, the class aren't sitting there doing nothing. Somebody else has to take up their work. So there's a guilt that if they step back to take time out to look after themselves, they feel guilty because mm -hmm. they're putting, they're increasing the workload for their co-workers, which might be slightly different from a, an IT guy who just doesn't go in, can the work they catch up another time. So I think it's hard in the sports world. I, I do and it's going to take, it's going to be a long time, I think, until we're really in a place where athletes feel comfortable saying exactly how they feel around their mental health and well-being. Yeah, no, I think you're right there as well. I think there's so many challenges. Well, there, you are, there, are there are some exceptions now, now I'm thinking about it, where you have the likes of Simone Biles in gymnast, gymnastics who said, I need time out. Yeah. Cycling tennis wasn't treated very well by the French Open. I'll get in trouble for this, but when she went to the Olympics, they looked after her. So, again, where there's psychological safety, where there's a right environment and the people you know who care really care and are thinking about the big mm -hmm. picture and are thinking about the athlete, some of the athletes are now standing up and saying that. They feel brave enough and are willing to be vulnerable. There, I feel that that's the that they're the exceptions. Mm -hmm. There's probably another question, and it's really specific, but I love football, so I have to probably ask it. So the the idea of do you know obviously penalty shootout, you've got that mental pressure, World Cup semi final, final whatever mm -hmm. quarterfinals. Um, is there things that people can be doing to strengthen their sort of their ability to cope with pressure and pressure? environments is there anything that people could do so if you think i'll probably add some more context so it's clear mm. for the listeners so heightened situation i'm using a penalty shoot because we all know what that is mm. but it could be um a presentation at work similar you put yourself you get in your own mindset um you maybe overthink it because every person every professional footballer who takes a penalty and misses is way capable of scoring that penalty the reason they miss is because mentality it's not skill it's not ability it's mentality and it, and, are, and are there things that people can do generally to get out of their own head i think there are i something i read was that i thought was really interesting and here's a tip for reese because you're going to do your public speaking is that the the, the the feelings of being nervous and excited the physical feelings are actually more the same 
the stomach, the sweating, mm. all that sort of stuff. So one thing, it's all about reframing the conversation in your head. And every time I go into a workshop or a new situation, I say to myself, I'm not nervous, I'm excited. That's why I'm feeling this way. And it's really interesting. That brain works. And just by reframing the, the, the way that inner voice from the negative to the positive, from, mm. um, like I say, nervous to excitement is really powerful. So in, in the world of you know, my workshops for Mental Health UK, we talk about the inner critic and the inner coach. And the inner critic saying, oh, I can't do this, I'm going to fail. I'm no good at this. And, I, and we need to recognize that, acknowledge how what we're saying to ourselves, label it, but then say, okay, what would our inner coach say? Well, I'm not quite there yet. I haven't prepared enough. The power of the word yet, I love using that. I, mm. oh, I can't play the piano. No, I can't play the piano yet. Because that, that implies that you can do it in the future. It's just that you haven't had the right coaching. I haven't got something yeah. to show me. I haven't downloaded uh, some podcasts, how to learn the piano. So I think to deal with to deal with pressure, it's mm -hmm. reframing how you're talking to yourself is, is one way to do it. Okay. I like that. Honestly, I, like I think that. that was yeah massive. I think the hard thing for me would be in that moment remembering to do that. It's almost making mm -hmm. that a skill, isn't it? Like again, like everything, every thought is a, a skill in how yes. you train your brain. Uh, definitely on that point again. So we talk about neuroplasticity and building these pathways. And I, I say to all the, the young people I work with that, you know, if, if you keep making lots of positive choices and, and creating these habits, it's hard at first, but it gets mm -hmm. easier and easier. And I use the example, um, I mentioned my wife now and her friend years ago said to me about um, when you're in that big uh, town hall or conference meeting, there's hundreds of people and the CEO's done a big speech and he says, any questions? And there's tumbleweed and everybody's sitting there on their hands and sweating. And you think, no, no, I want to ask a question. Now, the first time you put your hand up, you're a bit sweaty, you're a bit nervous, and you ask, obviously yeah, yeah. ask a red question, and you ask it, nothing bad happens, and then they move on. The second time you're in that situation, it feels just a little bit easier than the third yeah, time, than the fourth time. So I always say to people in my workshops, when I ask for volunteers to come up and have these giant post-it notes, to write on a giant post-it note, I say, use this opportunity. We're in a safe environment. Nothing's going to happen to you because the more you volunteer, the easier it becomes. So, again, to your point, creating those good habits of talking to yourself in a positive way, of saying to yourself, Reese, I'm not nervous, I'm excited. It's really powerful. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah, thank you. So um, there was one thing you touched on there, actually, and I, and I wasn't going to go there, but I, I do think it's probably quite a good one. Um, you touched on your inner critic, your inner coach. Mm. Is that theory fairly similar to like the chimp paradox of like your chimp gives you that negative thought? Is that a similar sort of process? Yeah, I met him once. Yeah. Twice. Um, it's not oh, too that, that, that is definitely a great name drop, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, it's not too dissimilar. I, got a, I read the chimp paradox a long time ago. It's, you know, it's all about what I think is really powerful as well is understanding how the brain works and mm -hmm. understanding that, you know, like I just said, you can rewire your brain. It's not fixed. And there's a lovely video we use in Mental Health UK showing the, the bad habit disappearing as a new habit appears. And so right. understanding the amygdala, the emotional part of your brain reacting, when does it react that way? Is it because mm -hmm. I'm tired? 
I haven't eaten properly. I haven't done my exercise. So back to controlling sleep, diet, exercise. So recognizing yeah. when you're at your best and when you're not at your best. And you know, I'm guilty of that. I might seem as though I know I have all the answers. My wife will tell you I'm not at my best all the time. <laughs> oh, they're brilliant at that. They are brilliant at that. <laughs> You'll probably appear in the kitchen in a minute. And I need to recognize why is it why is that? Is it because I'm nervous that I'm behind in my work? So I'm feeling yeah. that anxious. Is it because I haven't eaten properly? Um, so it's it, there is, yeah, the inner critic, inner coach is not too similar to the, the chimp straight away saying yeah. this. And you need to stop, move to the thinking brain. Is it the computer in the chimp paradox? Yeah. Or do I think the, the computer and the chimp brain is an answer or give you a response but that response mm -hmm. sometimes i think with that computer might not be ideal and then you have to reprogram don't you God, yeah. Is, yeah it's essentially yeah essentially the monkeys your emotional anger they fear know, stress yeah. happy, like it, it's the emotional part and it's learning how to control the emotion to think with maybe more clarity and and you almost set those really good habits of um yeah. doing the right things continuously and over time you put your chimp in a box I think generally I haven't yeah, yeah. read it for a couple years. Never, I always say you never suppress, you never suppress a chimp and batter it down with the nearest thing. No. That's your like your negative emotions. Never, I never say ignore your negative emotions. Yeah, but acknowledge them, label them, and you said it earlier, Lewis, about talking, going from there and talking it out loud. Yeah. makes it tangible. Okay, I feel so. I, now so I'm feeling overwhelmed. Okay, I've acknowledged that. I've made it a real thing. So I can do something about it now. So why am I overwhelmed? Do I need to get some help? Do I need to yeah. take a break? Do I need to take my PhD? It's the biggest thing in the world. And it yeah. can feel overwhelming at times. But if I just say to Alexa, and I whisper in case she goes off, 30-minute timer, <laughs> 30 minutes. After yeah. that 30 minutes, I always feel a little bit better. I've always made yeah. progress. I celebrate that success and I've moved closer to becoming to you know to achieving that massive goal. So breaking it down yeah. into small chunks. No, I love yeah. that. I do have one more one more question. Sorry, Reese. And then Reese, feel free to ask. Because this, this last one would be um this is one that's been helping me with running. Um, so whether I'm stressed, and this, you guys might feel this as well, actually, stressed or whatever. I almost use that stress energy as a way when it's getting tough and it almost allows me to like power through the pain a little bit i'm like oh work's on top of me or life isn't what i want it to be or whatever that might be um not re really using real examples there and i use that like almost pent-up energy that i've got to, to run through so has there been times in in probably either your life for both of you here where you've been i don't know doing something really challenging mine would be a run because it's fair recent and you've used those types of maybe negative emotions into a positive and and how has that worked for you if you have do you, do you want to go first Lisa? Do you want to go first what do you want? yeah no you, you can go for it I, I was thinking one actually i won't mention his name i was at a wedding once and somebody i wasn't drinking because i had a triathlon the next day and someone yeah. kept saying have, you drink, have a drink i'm saying no and it and after about the fifth no it was getting a bit annoying and I used yeah. that the next day, actually, to power me through the triathlon to say, look, this, I made a choice because it was important for me to do yeah. this triathlon. I've got a goal to do well. And I kind of used that to, to, to drive me forward, that kind of annoyance that someone couldn't quite accept the decision I made. 
thought, I, yeah. you know, to to, uh, to power me on. So maybe that's kind of one one example. Yeah, Reese, do you do you have yeah. that much or not? Yeah, I do. Um, it definitely helps with my running. Um, and I've been trying to get a um, sub twenty five k for about I don't know most this year, pretty much. And I could get to about twenty minute five k. Under twenty minute five k, yeah. yeah. What did I say? <laughs> I thought you said twenty five minute five k. Oh, maybe uh, under twenty minutes for a five k, and um, I just couldn't get really under twenty minutes twenty seven, and then on the um, I did Jared ten k a few weeks ago, and the first five k I just went for it, and I had done nineteen minutes thirty four or something, and I finished in forty one forty nine. So I'd set a PR on the five and ten k. Next day, I was still buzzing, and one of the lads from the running club rings us, Ian, and he went, "You do realize that doesn't count as your five k time?" I don't know, what do you mean? I said, "It's still like it's still five k. It's like strong. It, it counts. It's I've, I've I've accepted that badge." Um, and he went, "No, no, it's not a five k race." So he went, "There's a five k tomorrow night at the club. You're gonna have to come there and do it again." I'm thinking, 10 I've just done a ten k. My legs are gonna be heavy. It's not the nicest course. It's a it's really open as well. So the wind and everything, it really gets you. So I was thinking, I was just doing loads of excuses and then I just went for it and I ended up doing 19 minutes 26. So I'd, even, I'd knocked even time off from the Sunday as well. Um, and he was in front of us because it's a um, like handicap race. So starting, I started about a minute after and I was like, I'm going to catch him. But he ended up in quite a good time. I never caught him, but I still beat his time. So I was happy overall. And yes, it, he knew what he was doing. He rang us with the intention of getting us there on that Tuesday to go and beat the 19 out of the 20 Plus. minutes. So he, 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 he done it in a triggering way, but he knew what he was doing to actually help us out. So mm. it's positive, negative, positive. Yeah. No, that, that's brilliant. I, th- I think the reason why I asked that, because I've only just realized it, I think three days ago, that I was able to use what was probably negative thoughts in a way really constructive. And it's just a lesson I haven't, I, as you can probably tell, it wasn't the, the greatest question in the world in terms of the way I framed it. It's it's quite a new emotion for me to that I'm probably still processing. But it was as much interesting thinking, have I either cracked the code and no one else has done it, or you guys have done it too, so it makes sense. No, that's, that's I think it's a really good question, actually, because I it, it took, and I can think of another example where, again, in triathlon, it seems to be all about triathlons now and, and 5Ks, where yeah. a guy, a young guy who had beat me in a race before, at the start of the triathlon, the start of the swim, walked past me, tapped me on, the, on my butt, on my butt, and said, "Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll say hello. I'll say hello as I pass you on the run." And I was like, you are kidding me. And I flew on a swim, flew on a bike. He had beaten me by about two minutes uh, a month earlier. It was a photo finish because I drove me forward. But back to your question, I suppose the yeah. point there is sometimes it's okay to use the negative emotion. So we talked about reframing it to the positive. We talked about yeah, acknowledging yeah. But, yeah, if something's annoyed you, yeah, can you, could you yeah. use it in a positive way to drive you forward? Yeah, mm. it almost gave me adrenaline. That was the thing. Like, there's a there's a stretch on my run, and I I don't run quite as fast as Reese yet. I'm using your yet there because I will I will be because I I know I'm a better athlete than him. So um, I was waiting for no a bite. bite. There. Um, no there's bite. a part of my run where, where I know I can go really fast, and mentally, once I get there, it's literally as I get down to the coast, and there's a really flat bit, and every single time, I 
I do it faster and faster and faster. And it's like, I can get sub four minutes it, and along that stretch, four minute a K. A I'm, mile? I'm absolutely flying. Ah. No, not a mile. Not, Reese, I don't run a mile like you, remember? <laughs> no, not for a mile. I run in Ks. <laughs> just, just, broke, I, just broke the world record for a mile. Yeah, no, definitely Ks, not miles. I, I can't even comprehend actually people running a mile in under four minutes. Like, because running a K under four minutes is quite hard. So, Running a mile, yeah, can't really comprehend that. But I get to that point, and and I'm at, it's almost like I get there. The air's fresh. I can feel this the sort of the sea breeze, and there's times because by then I'm like twelve ish minutes minutes into my run, and that's when like probably what Reese was saying, you get into your own head, you're processing your thoughts. That's what I use my runs for, and at that point I'm probably halfway through a problem or thinking about something and that's when like it just gives me that adrenaline and that boost to go okay shit you can sprint but then i get to a hill and you inevitably slow down a bit right because <laughs> you can't sprint i can't sprint up hills 4k and or whatever but yeah again just interesting to understand sort of your points on that um reese did you have questions and i know you i interrupted you before um it's, a, I can't, it's okay I, if you didn't. I, I can't remember. When, no, I, there was there was something, but I can't remember what point one. Um, I can't. Sorry, no. It's okay. It's gone. It's okay. I forgot to write it down. Um, it's all right, uh, Neil. We, we are obviously coming to the end. We, okay. we said we'd do about an hour and a half, and we're about an hour forty here. So, uh, obviously, super grateful for your your time giving us. Um, giving you your time and insight tonight. There is one question that we ask every single guest. Normally, it's Ethan who's on the podcast, yeah, who mm -hmm. wasn't able to make it tonight. It, it's called Hear No Evil, See No Evil. It's the section of a pod that we do. So is there a book or a podcast that has helped you through either a difficult time or what you found really, it's almost helped shape your life and your way of thinking that would be beneficial for mm -hmm. our, our listeners to read or, or listen to? Yeah, oh, there's so many. Um, I can imagine the one, the one that comes to my mind is the High Performance Podcast by Jake mm -hmm. Humphrey. By Jake, yeah. And what? And, and I made this point the other day at a dinner party. They have guests on there that are obviously the high performers, and then they have someone like Ryland, the TV personality, or the recent one, Delia Smith. And yeah. my bias comes out, oh, would I learn much? It's not Sir Clive Woodward or whatever. I thought, no, put yeah. your biases on one side, come out your echo chamber. And they are amazing. The one with dealing. And what I do when I do my long run, that's when it goes on. So it's like I'm kind of working, yeah, enjoying and running. The one with Delia Smith was amazing. What she spoke about, I, I, you just have to listen to it. It's not mm. the... Uh, chef coming on the Norwich pitch saying, come and have it. It's someone talking really deeply about human connection, the power of community and citizenship. And it was mind-blowing. And one, there was one with David, uh, was it David Smith recently? There's, all of them are, are insightful. The one with Tyson Fury was brilliant. Yeah, Tyson Fury was good. Yeah. Uh, Johnny yeah, Wilkinson yeah. was my favourite pod for him, actually, of the Johnny Wilkinson one. Yeah, I don't think I've, I do know it might be the one I've not listened to actually, but I've listened to to most of them. And yeah. like I say, it's a case of like I say, Ryan, TV personality, why, where, why sport, high performance, and just the way he was open about his life and the challenges he had and how he dealt with them around well-being. There's mm. there are there's so much to learn. You could learn. You could pick up three or four golden nuggets of advice in every single one of those podcasts. They've got Gordon Ramsay on today. 
I saw that. Yeah, I'm going to listen to that uh, this weekend when yeah. I go on the long run. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm interested in that yeah. one. Yeah, I'll go, go on Sunday if I don't get out and I'm on the treadmill. Cool. Yeah. Big, big I've got a book for one. you actually at your like. Uh, it's called Can't Swim, Can't Bike, Can't Run. Can't Swim, Can't Ride, Can't Run. It's be, it's an Iron Man story. Our bloke just had never done anything before. And uh, Andy Holgate, it's by. It's brilliant. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of it. It you'll brings enjoy it since you're like then. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. Thank you. And what does he talk about on it? Just the struggles of doing an Iron Man. So it's just a, a, a guy who'd never ran before. He'd never, he'd done mm-hmm. a bit of cycling to work, but he didn't do any run, uh, swimming or hardly anything. So he set himself the task of signing up for, um, I think it was a sprint triathlon at first. And then next thing you know, he's doing Ironman. So something like yourself, really, but it's a really interesting wow. reading. It's a great book, actually. Really, really good book. I listened to it on Audible because I struggled to read for longer than 10 minutes. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really good. I enjoyed it a lot. I will definitely give that a read as well. 100%. Yeah. Uh, so, so, Neil, yeah, that brings us to the end of the podcast. And honestly, thank you so much for coming on. Um, super insightful. As I said, I've learned so much. And I'm looking forward to, again, seeing more of your posts and more of the work that you do. And and I know we discussed earlier around potential, like in the future, for us as a podcast, we would like to get other guests on with other guests. And maybe we talk about various topics, debate various things and stuff. So uh, we would obviously love to have you back on in the future. And yeah, super grateful for you coming on. It's been brilliant. So like I said, when you first contacted me, I'm honoured to be invited. Um, learned, I've learned today as well from you guys. And yeah, let's keep mm-hmm. talking and keep spreading the good word and telling people like we said earlier, if you're struggling, reach yeah. out. It could be us, it could be anyone, but please, please yeah. reach out and, and talk to someone. Yeah, honestly, really appreciate it. And thanks to uh, listeners. This is a live that we never really get the big listeners on the live. So again, um, if you're listening, you can follow us on Spotify where our biggest audience is. I think we're averaging about 10,000 listeners on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, YouTube, uh linkedin facebook whatever uh but spotify is our our biggest listener so thank you very much to everyone for listening and we will catch you on the next one good night take care guys